Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there. This is Dee, and welcome to episode 65 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Welcome back. It's, or I guess welcome if this is the first time you've been here. Either way, it's good to have you. It's, it's been a little busy around here. I don't know, I don't know why when I launched the Easing Anxiety YouTube channel that I really thought the, the workload was going to ease. <laughs> I, I had this idea that by rolling back the podcast episodes from weekly to twice a month, it would free up time, which it did, but the videos quickly filled up that void. Still, I'm not trying to whine here because I love doing both of them. The truth is, especially with all this stuff going on, it's, it's good to be busy. You know, free time is nice. I, I love relaxing now and then. I enjoy my meditation. I enjoy my downtime with my wife. But too much of that, it's like giving candy to a child. It, it feeds the void. Um, when you have too much time on your hands and fills it with, for me at least, far too negative patterns of thought instead of positive ones. Uh, thus, one key thing I learned during my withdrawal was the blessing of work, the blessings of being busy. So, when do you, when do you think this whole virus thing will end? <laughs> I know, it seems to carry on, doesn't it? It's hard to, hard to know where the the light is at the end of the tunnel on this one, but, but you know, it's, it's starting to get back to little pieces of normal for us around here, hopefully for you also, wherever you're at. I know this whole thing is affecting all of us in a variety of ways. Some of us feel more isolated than ever before in our lives, and some truly are alone during this time. Some have been forced to learn to work at home or become home educators and had to relearn English, math, science to help their kids out with their, with their schoolwork. Some haven't even seen their parents because they're in a nursing home and it's been closed off for several months. Some of us have even faced unemployment and are unsure where the next paycheck, let alone the next meal, may come from. Some of us have experienced the virus firsthand. Perhaps the symptoms were mild for you, or perhaps severe, or, or maybe you even knew someone who was dealing with the virus, or perhaps even lost someone. But the whole thing's pretty bizarre, isn't it? These are trying times, but we are also pulling through, and I'm, I'm so proud of what we've done and, and what we have accomplished. I must admit, I have been constantly amazed and encouraged by how people have been coming together during this time and how people are truly embracing the idea that we are in this together. It seems to me that we've become 
closer to our neighbors. I've been having nightly conversations at a distance across the fence line with several of them and gotten to know them better lately. Some of us have been on our phones less and have found more creative ways to educate and entertain the family. I've been observing and enjoying the chalk drawings around our neighborhood. They just make me smile every time I see them. Overall, I think things have slowed down a bit, and that's been a good thing. It's even forced some of us to reevaluate what's important in life, and perhaps even make a few adjustments for our future going forward. Those of us who've been through Benza withdrawal might know a bit about these kinds of changes. This is not a new concept, this sense of community. We've always been in this thing together on this planet, in this journey through life as humans. We've all been in this together. I've seen some of that change early on during this viral outbreak. People looking out for the greater good of their communities and helping out those in need and and showing their gratitude to the frontline workers and thinking of the community first before ourselves. And it's really warmed my heart to see that sense of community coming out. But we're also human, and it's an uphill battle sometimes. Old habits do return, and we start to focus more on the me and less on the we. We, we get caught up in our lives, in our own needs, in our own desires, in our, in our own wants. And we start to forget to think of others as much as we think of ourselves, and instead return to old patterns of judgment, shame, and blame. Unfortunately, the attitude of goodwill towards others can be hard for us to maintain long-term. The longer we are confined to our homes, the longer we can't work, the longer we can't go out and socialize, the harder this becomes. The more stress seems to build with some people. I've, I've noticed the underlying anxiety and stress with even my wife and I and with a lot of people I've spoken with lately. For a lot of people, they don't even notice it happening. It's just this underlying tension that's been building. For those of us who have been through anxiety, we know this stuff and we've seen its extremes. But for others, this is new and they're starting to have symptoms. <laughs> I've, I've been seeing this. I don't know about you, but they're starting to have symptoms similar to what we've gone through. I've seen this in my wife and in some friends and in some neighbors and people are now talking about different things going on. Like my wife's having trouble thinking and focusing on things. I have a a neighbor who's having trouble sleeping. I have friends who have found themselves twitching and, and all these different symptoms that we see happens with chronic anxiety and really happened with us when we were in withdrawal. So while there is the good that is coming out of it, there's also the building stress, the building frustration, the, the building worry. As with everything in life, this this virus, just like with benzo withdrawal, comes with good and bad. But I have to admit, I was kind of hoping we could hang on to the, the good a little bit longer. You know, perhaps we have learned something from this. But perhaps we haven't. 
Only time will tell, so we'll see how it all plays out, won't we? Today our format will include our introduction, which you just heard, Spotlight, Mailbag, Benzo Story, Feature, and we will close out with our moment of peace. Today's feature is Benzo's 101, a return to the basics of withdrawal. We all need a refresher now and again on basics and things that we learn, so today we're going to revisit 10 basics of Benzo's and withdrawal. I, I hope you like it. And before we move on, don't forget we need your help. We need feedback of any kind. We truly want to hear from you. You can provide feedback in four ways. Comment directly on one of our podcasts or blog posts so others can see. Fill out our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback. Email us at podcast at benzofree.org or leave feedback on one of our podcast carriers so others can find us. While you are on the website, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And if you wish to help support what we do here, you can visit our donations page at benzofree.org slash donate. Trust me, every little bit does help. And some of you have been donating lately, and I just want you to know I truly appreciate it. Thank you. And one last thing, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's move on to our spotlight. In our spotlight section today, since this episode is dedicated to a return to the basics of benzo withdrawal, I felt we should spotlight the biggest one of them all, and that's the Ashton Manual. Most of you know about this, but a few of you may be new and haven't heard of it, or haven't heard of the professor. And for the rest of us, we may have forgotten some of the wisdom included in her writings. Thus, I think it's really important to revisit it here for all of us. A quick refresher. The Ashton Manual was written by British doctor, professor, and researcher C. Heather Ashton and was based on her work with benzos, including 12 years operating a clinic for those who suffer from benzodiazepine dependence and withdrawal. Now, sadly, the good professor passed away in September of last year, but she will always be remembered as the true matriarch and guardian angel of our community. Professor Ashton wrote a document to help people understand benzodiazepines and help them withdraw if they so choose. The document is actually titled Benzodiazepines, How They Work and How to Withdraw, but it's more commonly called the Ashton Manual. This manual has become the Bible for benzodiazepine withdrawal. Period. End of story. <laughs> yes, there has been plenty of information produced since then by a variety of sources, including yours truly here at Benzo Free. But there is still only one source which almost all people in the Benzo community agree upon, and that is the Ashton Manual. Most organizations in the Benzo community state that they are Ashton-based because it is that important, and this includes Benzo Free. If you listen to our podcast in the past, you will know that I refer to this document often and will continue to do so. Please, if you haven't read it, read it. If you have, read it again. <laughs> Perhaps it's time for another go. I have read the Ashton Manual about four times now, and each time I do, I learn something new. You can learn more about the Ashton Manual on our website at benzofree.org Ashton, which 
has some general info about the professor, including a big blue button which will take you directly to her manual. We also have a tribute page to Professor Ashton at benzofree.org slash tribute, where you can see some wonderful quotes about the kind professor from listeners of the podcast and other people in the community. And if you'd like to add a comment to it, we're still accepting new entries, so send it via our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback. I really can't overemphasize the importance of Professor Ashton to the Benzo community. In my opinion, her manual has guided more people to become Benzo-free than all the websites, discussion groups, blogs, manuals, and articles combined. And she provided her manual online for everyone completely free. Thanks, Professor. We appreciate it. And now on to our mailbag. Today we're just going to share one item from our mailbag to keep this episode moving. This comment is from Anne in Michigan. Anne writes, Loved the YouTube episode on Seven Tiers of Anxiety. It was a great encapsulation of strategies, and I've been sharing this with friends who could benefit from the advice. Well done. The most recent podcast episode about isolation was also very helpful and relevant. May I digress and show my really pedantic side about something? When you use the word symptomology, it actually has six syllables. Symptomatology. Okay, off my soapbox now. <laughs> Keep up the wonderful, meaningful, and incredibly needed work, Anne. Oh, Anne, thank you so much for the very kind words. I really appreciate it. And, and for your input throughout Benzo Free. Anne has been an amazing support to me throughout the podcast, and I am so pleased to have her constant help with what I do. Thank you, Anne. Her, her comment on symptomology, and I'm saying symptomology here, but just hang on, was one of those that I needed to hear. I, I never knew I was saying it wrong. I even hear other people say symptomology, so I assumed I was right. But after Anne's email, I looked it up. And as usual, she was correct. I've been saying the word wrong <laughs> for the past year, and then some. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because the word symptomology does show up in Google searches several times as if it's the right spelling of the word. But invariably, when you click on the actual links, they almost always take you to the definition for symptomatology, <laughs> considering that's the real word. Oh, well. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. Love the correction. As you know, I'm still learning every single day, and honestly, I hope that never ends. Be well and keep the info coming. I love it. And that's it for our mailbag, so let's move on to our Benzo story. Our story today is from Sarah in California. Now, I do want to say up front, this one's hard to hear. Sarah is in acute withdrawal from clonazepam, clonopin, in a very difficult state right now. She is struggling to find hope, and her story relays her loss of hope and the fear that she now has in her life. Thus, this is an official trigger warning. If, if messages of severe withdrawal are a trigger for you, please skip this story and move on to the next section. Remember, there is a time index in our show notes so you can jump ahead. 
But that being said, I do want to remind people, as I often do, that everyone's story deserves to be heard. And that we never know which story will be the one that truly connects with someone else. Sometimes the hardest stories to hear provide the true connection we so often seek. Sarah writes, I am currently suffering serious withdrawal. After a little more than a month of clonazepam, prescribed by the doctor I've trusted with my health for the past 10 years. I have struggled with anxiety, which was compounded last fall by a debilitating injury. Panic attacks ensued and insomnia worsened. And in a state of desperation, I took the medication as prescribed without doing the research that I usually do in such matters. Why? I, I keep asking and blaming myself. I wasn't thinking clearly, to be sure. I didn't even think to ask questions about dosage, time frame, side effects, etc. I trusted my doctor completely, and now I am paying an insanely high price. The clonazepam made me feel better for a week and a half, and then it made the anxiety and panic worse and began to flatline my personality. I knew I needed to stop taking it, or at least lower my dosage, and the latter is what I did. What I now know to be withdrawal symptoms began, and eventually I felt like I was poisoning myself. My doctor told me that it was all anxiety related to taking the medication, and that I could simply stop. I did. And two months later, I'm still in hell and afraid I won't survive, largely due to its effect on my respiration. I cycle back and forth between hyper and hypoventilation, with very arrhythmic breathing that interferes with all daily activities. It is absolutely terrifying, and doctors haven't provided any help. I was looking forward to healing from the injury I sustained in the fall and getting back to my active, engaged life. Now I feel like I'm preparing for death. And I'm only 46. All because I trusted my doctor in a moment of desperation. God help me and anyone else who has made the same grievous mistake. Thank you, Sarah. This, this is, like I said, a, a hard story to hear. And, and I'm so sorry that you have found yourself in such a difficult state right now. As you probably know, I was on clonazepam too, so I do understand its lingering effects. Some benzos have more severe reactions during acute withdrawal than during taper, and it, and it varies person to person and drug to drug. The breathing symptoms can be some of the most frightening symptoms to experience. They're not the most common, but they do occur. I realize that you are frustrated that the doctors are not providing any of the support that you need right now, but please don't let that stop you from seeking help with your breathing when things turn bad. Breathing difficulties are nothing to ignore, and you should get them checked out by someone when they occur, but... It sounds like you've already been there with little 
or no resolution. Breathing symptoms can be terrifying, like you said, Sarah. During my acute withdrawal, I would wake on occasion, gasping for air. Talk about scary, pardon the language, (laughs) what I was about to say there. I was freaking out the first times this happened and afraid to go back to sleep at all, which only added, of course, to my insomnia. It went on for a little while, but eventually I learned to adjust to it. I I would wake gasping, realize what it was, calm down a bit, and, and then I could get back to sleep. And eventually, the symptom disappeared completely. Since breathing is essential to our survival, it is so frightening when it is at risk. Whether hyperventilation, hypoventilation, gasping for air, or other symptoms related to our lungs and our breathing, these are difficult symptoms to adjust to, to to accept. But to everyone else out there, please know that Sarah's story is rare. Severe breathing symptoms in benzo withdrawal do happen, but they are not common. Sarah, I wish I had a simple solution for you, but I do not. I do know that these symptoms will pass and often do early in withdrawal. Please make sure you have been fully checked out medically and that your physicians know of your concerns. Take care and hang in there. It will get better. Thanks for your story. And we still need stories for sure. I have a couple short ones for the next episode or two and a long one I'm going to try and shorten a bit for an upcoming podcast, but I only have enough to get me through, I think, the next month and then we're out again. So if you want to share your story, please email me at podcast at benzofrida.org or fill out our feedback form at benzofrida.org slash feedback. I appreciate it. Thanks. And now on to our feature. Our feature today is Benzos 101, a return to the basics of withdrawal. This is episode 65 of the podcast. Yes, we have done 65 episodes of this podcast. I think I'm exhausted. (laughs) Actually, no, it's pretty cool to think of that. Our very first episode of the podcast was an overview titled, What Everyone Should Know About Benzos. Kind of an introduction to the basics of benzos. But that was 15 months ago. Most of you listening to the podcast now weren't around for that episode and probably haven't gone back to listen to it, and I get that. But since then, some things have changed. Some haven't, and others we've just forgotten. So, for those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome, and I hope this episode provides a perfect welcome packet you know, full of useful info for you. And for those of you who have been with us for a while, hi, by the way, great to see you again. But I I hope this is a useful refresher. We all forget things as we go along, especially for those of us who have been doing this for a few years or longer. And it's good to be reminded of the basics now and again. In fact, as I researched some of the information for today's podcast, I was often reminded of what I had forgotten. <laughs> and I host a podcast on this stuff. So, now, now, before I get started, I'm sure those of you who have been with me for a while know what's coming. But that being said, I do need to remind you that this is just my opinion. Everything here is my opinion. 
Most of it is based on research and things I have learned along the way, but still opinion nonetheless. Nothing on this podcast should be considered medical or professional advice. I am not a medical professional, and I, I don't even play one on TV. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> but, but seriously, I am just a benzo survivor who's trying to help out, who learned a few things along the way and would like to share them with those who follow. That's it. If you choose to withdraw from benzos, please work with your doctor and never substitute anything on this podcast for medical advice. Okay, now that that disclaimer's out of the way, let's buckle up for an exciting, thrilling, heart-pounding ride. Okay, maybe I'm overplaying it a bit. Um, how about a semi-informative, lukewarm, mediocre, almost interesting feature topic? <laughs> or something in between those two? <laughs> Either way, let's take a look at 10 basics of benzos and benzo withdrawal. Number one. What are benzos? <laughs> I know this one is really basic, so I'll make this first one really quick. When I say benzos, I am including two classes of anti-anxiety drugs, benzodiazepines and non-benzodiazepines or Z drugs. Even though these two classes have completely different chemical structures, they have similar effects, especially when it comes to dependence and withdrawal after long-term use. The most common benzodiazepine brand names include Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, Valium, Restoril, Librium. The most common Z-drug brands include Ambien, Sonata, Lunesta. Hopefully that gives you a real basic overview of benzos. Number two, the symptoms. The good news about benzo withdrawal is that its symptoms are usually limited to those connected to or affected by the central nervous system. The bad news is that this includes almost every part of the human body in one way or another. The number of possible symptoms from benzo withdrawal is 30, or 35, or, or 62, or 115, or 48, or 235. I think you might get my point. The total number of symptoms varies greatly depending on who you ask. And that kind of makes sense, actually. Benzo withdrawal symptomatology and tracking that symptomatology is very subjective. See how I snuck in symptomatology there? <laughs> I'm learning. I'm working on this. Boy, symptomology just rolls off the tongue so much easier than symptomatology. <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. Uh, let's, let's take an example of what I'm trying to say here. Let's take a look at muscle pain. Is muscle pain one symptom? Do you separate muscle aches from muscle pain? What about chest pain? What if the chest pain originates from the muscles? Is that a separate pain? What if you don't know if the chest pain is a muscle pain but might be caused by acid reflux or maybe heart difficulties? Now, is that three separate symptoms? Well, let's take a look at muscle tics. Are they different from muscle tremors? Should those be counted separately? How about twitches? Is that a third or are they all the same or, or shaking? I think you probably get where I'm going. When I first created my organization structure for, for benzodiazepine symptomatology, see, there we go, I got it in. Um, I created 14 categories of symptoms based mostly on Ashton and her manual. So let me just cover those really quickly so you kind of know where I categorize things. 
First are the psychological ones. These include anxiety symptoms, behavioral symptoms, cognitive symptoms, excitability symptoms, perception symptoms, sleeping symptoms, and social symptoms. And then the physical ones include abdominal and gastrointestinal symptoms, symptoms of the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, symptoms of the head and neck, symptoms of the heart and lungs, muscular symptoms, nerve sensations, and immune and endocrine symptoms. Now that's a very cursory look at symptomology for benzos. But if you visit our website, you can learn more about each or go back and listen to our 14-part series on the symptoms of benzo withdrawal, where you get a much deeper look at the symptomatology. Number three, the Ashton Manual. I mentioned this in the spotlight section, so I don't need to go into any detail here. Let's move on. Number four, taper slowly. Now, like I said, I cannot advise you on your taper. You need to work with your doctor on that. But all evidence I have seen, and what most experts in the benzo community constantly remind us of, is that if you choose to withdraw from benzodiazepines or Z drugs, a slow taper is the best way to go. After working with hundreds of you in the benzo community over the past couple of years, I have yet spoken with anyone who stopped cold turkey or tapered rapidly and was glad they did. The only possible exception for this might be a select few who have had some success with flumazenil and a rapid taper, but this is nor the time or the place to discuss that. We'll dive in a little deeper on this at a later episode. But all that being said, in my opinion, a slow taper is the best way to go. How slow? Well, that depends on the person. Some people find they need to micro-taper at an extremely slow rate to avoid excessive symptomatology. But for most, the 10-2 rule is a good standard. Now, I call it the 10-2 rule, but it's not really mine. I based it on the Benzo Buddies website and on the information from the Ashton Manual. The 10-2 rule can be used as a starting point for your taper, and then adjust it from there as you see fit. Flexibility is key in determining the speed of your taper. The 10-2 rule is based on a 10% reduction of your current dose every two weeks. See, 10-2. Benzo Buddies actually stated every one to two weeks, but I preferred to make it simple and even a little more conservative to start and just made it the 10-2 rule. Now, while this rule is quite simple, many people do get it wrong because they continue to reduce by 10% of their original dose and not their current dose. As your dosage decreases, so does the amount you decrease by according to the 10-2 rule. Thus, if you start on 40 milligrams of diazepam, the initial reduction every two weeks is four milligrams. But when you get down to the stage where you're at 10 milligrams of diazepam, now your reduction every two weeks is only one milligram and continues to go down as you get closer to zero. But it's one of those facts that's often overlooked and misunderstood by people who follow this guideline. 
Now, please remember this is just that. It's just a guideline based on respected websites and manuals in the benzo community. Please, if you choose to withdraw from benzos, work with your doctor and never substitute anything in this podcast for medical advice. Number five, it's a mental game. On the Benzo Free Podcast, we probably spend two-thirds to three-quarters of our time on the psychological effects of benzo withdrawal and on managing this entire withdrawal experience mentally. We don't spend nearly as much time on the physical effects. Now, this wasn't the initial plan from the very beginning, but has more or less evolved along the way from my own experiences, from writing my book, and from working with you, the listeners of the podcast. You see, I've learned the one thing about benzo withdrawal, which just may be the key to success. Benzo withdrawal is a mental game. The truth is, there is very little you can do to manage the physical symptoms of withdrawal. Some do sail through benzo withdrawal with little or no problems. That's great, and I'm so happy for them. Others, like me and many of you, have severe symptoms, and some days can barely even get out of bed. We don't really know why some suffer more than others, but we do know that there is not a lot we can do directly to ease the physical suffering. But there is something we can do indirectly. If we can learn to manage the anxiety, the fear, to work towards finding a stable, healthy, and positive mindset for our withdrawal, the complications of benzo withdrawal can be significantly eased. I see it every day in the work we do here. I wrote a whole chapter on this in my book and talk about it in almost every episode of the podcast because I believe it's that important. When we ease our anxiety, we ease everything else. And that includes the psychological and the physical symptoms. Remember, most of the symptomatology of benzo withdrawal is an affect of anxiety. And the worse our anxiety is, the worse our symptoms are. When we find ways to ease our anxiety, to ease our stress, to ease our fear, we also ease our symptoms. I can tell you this from a place of complete honesty. Those of you who write into me, who have found ways to help manage your anxiety via meditation, yoga, therapy, exercise, support systems, and a long list of other options, are the ones who are doing well. Those who repeatedly email me about their physical symptoms, focusing almost entirely on their physical symptoms, and who are trying every lotion or pill they can find to ease their muscle pain, or trying out different diets to quiet their benzo belly, or checking out a supplement or herb to help them sleep, don't seem to improve as much. They're, they're caught in that loop. Those who have dedicated more time to developing anxiety management tools, to getting healthy, building their support network, keeping away from toxic and negative influences, are the ones I rarely worry about. I know they're going to be okay. 
Now, I know none of this is easy. And the last thing I'm trying to do is to make it sound easy because I fought with this every day too. But as I kept working on it, things started to improve slowly, but they did improve. Yes, there are a few things you can do to ease your physical symptoms, but they are few and far between. Ashton has a really wonderful quote in her manual, and I'd like to close out this section with that. The professor wrote, Above all, stop worrying. Worry, fear, and anxiety increase all withdrawal symptoms. Many of these symptoms are actually due to anxiety and not signs of brain or nervous system damage. People who fear withdrawal have more intense symptoms than those who just take it as it comes and think positively and confidently about recovery. I don't think I could end it on better words. Let's move on. Six, everyone is different. Yes, you've heard me say this many times also. We can be quite repetitive in the Benzo community, and I know I can be quite repetitive on this podcast, but that's because there are some really basic rules that need to be repeated. Everyone's experience with benzo withdrawal is different. Okay, let me just say that one more time. Everyone's experience with benzo withdrawal is different. Do I need to repeat that again? You got it? Okay, I just want to make sure this time. Benzo withdrawal can be a frightening, terrifying experience. And most of us are just desperately seeking some comfort, some, some guidance, someone to look to so we feel less alone, scared, and worried. Since I host a podcast on this topic, some of our listeners look to me as an example of what they're going to go through. Some people see what I went through and what I'm going through, and it's hard for them not to think that this won't be them too. But, but nothing could be farther from the truth. It is estimated that over 50% of long-term benzo users have little or no severe complications during withdrawal. Many people have said that they stopped taking their benzos with no problems at all. And, and if you have not started your taper and don't have many symptoms, this very well could be you. Also, I am in protracted withdrawal. I am much better than I was, but I still have symptoms five and a half years out. But it is estimated that only about 10 to 15% of long-term benzo users wind up in protracted withdrawal. Protracted withdrawal being having symptoms longer than 18 months since your last dose. So again, this probably won't be you. Also, I made a lot of mistakes, which might have added to my difficulties. I'm sure some of them have. I blindly took a fluoroquinolone antibiotic during my withdrawal, and that very well might have caused neuropathy and triggered general complications. I also updosed during my withdrawal, suffer from ADHD, which can complicate withdrawal, and have a variety of other factors that may have made my experience more difficult than others. All of that to say this, there are thousands of factors which might influence your experience with benzo withdrawal. 
And although I understand the temptation to look to those who have gone before you as examples of how your experience will be, you would be doing yourself a huge disservice to do so. There are thousands of people who have successfully withdrawn from long-term benzo use and are living happy, healthy lives. Unfortunately, most of them are not hanging around the benzo discussion boards anymore. Why would they? They've moved on, as I'm sure you will want to do when your journey with this is over. So please remember that the horror stories you may read online or even hear on this podcast are not proportionally representative of the whole, not by a long shot. Okay, enough of that. Let's move on. Number seven, all benzos are not created equal. One of the biggest mistakes made by those new to the benzo community is to think that all benzos are the same. They are not. First off, some benzodiazepines do appear to be more difficult to withdraw from than others. The more potent benzos do seem to be tied to more difficult withdrawal. Also, some particular benzos do appear to cause more serious and long-lasting symptoms. A perfect example might be clonazepam or clonopin which has been found to have a higher incidence of protracted withdrawal, sometimes lasting months or even years. In a recent study of 1,203 respondents within the benzo community, a group of people who have been regularly visiting benzo community sites and thus struggling with their withdrawal often for a long time. Of that group, 52.9% of the respondents listed clonazepam as one of their medications followed by 41.7% for alprazolam, Xanax, and 36.1% for lorazepam, Ativan. And that's just an example. Each benzo has its own unique properties and complications, much of which we are still learning, and a lot more research needs to be done. Now, also, as I mentioned earlier on, when I say benzos, I'm usually referring to both benzodiazepines and non-benzodiazepines, or Z-drugs. And these different classes of drugs can also have their own distinctions. But overall, benzos differ based on three primary factors. Onset, or the duration of time until the drug initially takes effect. Half-life, the amount of time it takes for half the initial dose to be left in the blood. And potency, or equivalency, which is usually measured as compared to diazepam, as to how potent that drug is. Some benzos are more potent than diazepam, such as clonazepam, oprazolam, triazolam, and some others. And some are less potent, such as chlordiazepoxide, librium, clobazam, chlorazepate, florazepam, and others. Now, each of these three factors, onset, half-life, and potency, can influence your taper. Potency is probably the one we pay the most attention to, since it does influence your taper especially if you decide to substitute your taper for diazepam. Some benzos are as much as 20 times as potent as diazepam, and this is a critical factor to consider when developing your schedule. Half-life can also be a significant factor, especially when it comes to interdose withdrawal complications. In the end, the point here is to know the drug or drugs you are taking. 
educate yourself via various sources so you understand them better. We have info on our website. You can learn more in the Ashton Manual or, or on an array of other sites listed in the resources section of our website at benzofree.org resources. Number eight, it's dependence, not addiction. Now, most of you know this one, but I got to mention it here anyway, because this is the basics. <laughs> one of the most important factors we do try and clarify at every opportunity in the Benzo community is that of dependence versus addiction. I won't spend a lot of time on this since we've covered it many times on the podcast, but it's important to include it here. The vast majority of people suffering from withdrawal from benzodiazepines are suffering from physiological dependence and not addiction. With benzos, it's rarely addiction. Benzos cause physical changes in the human body, such as the downregulation of the GABA receptors. And when the drugs are removed, those changes are revealed. And as healing begins, symptoms appear. Also, most of us have taken these drugs as prescribed by our doctors and rarely exhibit addictive traits such as craving. Treating long-term benzo users as addicts is incorrect and often leads to improper treatment of our condition and other problems. Number nine, know what to avoid. The truth here is that there are few hard, fast rules about what to avoid in benzo withdrawal. As I mentioned earlier, everyone is different, and quite often, we respond differently to different things. I've seen some people who swear that this supplement or this diet or this treatment was the magical elixir that got them through, while others have said that that exact same substance or pill or exercise made their withdrawal so much worse. You need to figure out what is right for you. But that being said, there are some things that should be mentioned here. As for medications, opioids are of serious concern. 30% of all opioid deaths in the U.S. also included a benzodiazepine. The combination of opioids and benzos can be fatal. And if you are prescribed both by your physician, please speak with him or her about your concerns. Certain antibiotics can also cause problems. One which is mentioned in the Ashton Manual is quinolones or fluoroquinolones. This class of drugs actually has a black box warning from the FDA because it can cause neuropathy even without the complication of benzos. Please, again, speak with your physician if you are prescribed one of these drugs. There may be an alternative which can be prescribed without causing further complications to your withdrawal. Alcohol is another one which most in the benzo community recommend to avoid during benzo withdrawal. You see, alcohol acts on the same GABA receptors as benzos and can complicate your withdrawal. So that's why most people recommend to avoid it during this time. Caffeine and sugar also have been shown to have some complications, especially for those who are struggling with symptoms like ecclesia, tremors, and insomnia. Now, those are just a few of the basics. There are others, but it's important for you to do your research, use your own common sense, and find what works for you. 
Number 10, you are not alone. I just want to repeat that. <laughs> you are not alone. Loneliness is pervasive and excessive in the benzo community. Benzo dependence and withdrawal is very isolating. And now with the virus and everything else going on in the world, it's doubly so or triply so, if that's really a word. <laughs> but it, it can leave us feeling not only ignored, but even ostracized at times for what we're dealing with. But I want you to listen to me when I say, you are not alone. There are a lot of us out there who know what you are going through. The Benzo community is a thriving, supportive community of people who truly care about each other. So if you think you are alone in this, think again. Let's, let's talk about just a few of these. And if you are looking for links, please visit our website at benzofree.org resources for several of these. Let's, let's start with the Ashton Manual, of course. I've already mentioned it a few times, but I just got to put it out there. Read that. It's important. Let's take a look at websites of benzo organizations. There's the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, great site with amazing information. Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, BIC, another top site and organization with tons of good info. World Benzodiazepine Awareness Day, WBAD, been around for a long time and done a lot of good. And so many others like the Withdrawal Project, BenzoWise Coalition, and others. There are online discussion groups, tons of them, like Benzo Buddies, the granddaddy of them all, and still one of the best. Facebook discussion groups like Benzo Recovery, Benzo Warrior Community, Benzodiazepine Withdrawal Solutions, and Recovery, and others. There are tons of books available on Benzos, such as Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. Yes, that's my book. I just had to throw it in there. <laughs> but other wonderful ones like Recovery and Renewal by Baylissa Frederick. Great book. Death Grip by Matt Semmet. Love that one. Amazing writer and a great story with some real good insights. And so many others. There's also well-respected counselors and coaches looking to help you through this, like Baylissa Frederick and Jennifer Lee. And films on benzos and withdrawal. Original music dedicated to people going through benzodiazepine withdrawal. And the list goes on and on and on. If you feel alone during withdrawal, please know you are not. We are here. And we want to help. And that closes out the 10 basics of benzo withdrawal or whatever I titled this feature. <laughs> I want to throw one thing in here at the end, just because it's something I think you want to keep in mind. And this is where I go off script and just ramble, but I do that occasionally, <laughs> as you all know. And that is remember to be kind. You know, I never really understood this word that well before I went through benzo withdrawal, but now I think it's one of my favorites. I might be misquoting this. I hope I'm not. But I think one of the questions that was asked to Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood one time, I think I saw Tom Hanks on a talk show say this one time, but he said the three keys to living a good life or whatever it was. But the three keys were be kind, be kind, be kind. It sounds so simple, but I really think it's important. And I think there's two phases of this. One is to be kind to everyone out there. 
to your family, to your friends, to strangers, to even people that you think are your enemies. It's amazing how far you can get when you just decide to be kind. And equally as important, especially in benzo withdrawal, is be kind to yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. This is hard. The fact that you are listening to this podcast already tells me that you are doing the work and you are trying your best to get through this. Take it easy on yourself. It's okay. If you mess up, if you have a problem along the way, it's okay. We all make mistakes in benzo withdrawal. I made plenty of them. And I'm still here talking to you and doing well. Be kind to yourself. This is hard. But you're going to get through. I know you are. I'm counting on it. And that wraps up our feature. Um, please let me know what you thought of our topic today. I'd really love your feedback. It means the world to me. And I don't just say that. It's not just a slogan. I say it because it's true. Come on, let's all say this together. You can email, oh, come on, you can do this. You can email me at podcast at benzofree.org or come on, you know, this next part or fill out our, yes, feedback form. Very good. At benzofree.org slash feedback. You guys are great. Thank you. <laughs> now just give me about 30 seconds for our disclaimer and we will jump into our moment of peace. Well, maybe not jump. Maybe we'll just kind of ease into it. That sounds better. Thanks. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to do a counting meditation. This is perhaps one of my most common forms of meditation. I, I enjoy it because it gives me something simple to focus on, and that is of counting from one to ten. I also think it provides me a metric sometimes of the level of distraction that's in my mind when I attempt this. Like most of our meditations, this is quite simple. With each breath in, count one. With each breath out, count two. On your next in-breath, count three. And out, count four, and so on. When and if you reach ten, start at one again. If your mind wanders, which it will, 
gently bring it back to your counting, starting back at one. But don't be too hard on yourself. My mind wanders like crazy. And there have been many times that I've never reached ten. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally and count your breathing. One on the in-breath, two on the out-breath until you reach 10. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your counting, starting at one. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next scheduled episode is episode 66, and it will be released June 1st. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.